In 2017, a subway in New York City made national news when it got stuck between two stations. And then the air conditioning and the lights all went out. Eventually, the people stuck in the subway station, they ended up dripping with sweat in there, all the lights off, no air conditioning, it's so humid, they're stuck in the subway, and they were dripping with sweat to the degree that the windows all on the subway steamed up, they were covered with steam, and someone on the windows uh, scribbled in these words that became viral, I will survive. <laughs> People in the subway, as time went on, they were in this sweaty, humid room. They, with all the lights off, started passing out. And people started wondering, when are we going to get out of here? And it took over an hour in that dark, cramped, hot environment in between subway stations for them to finally be rescued. Now, you may not have been ever stuck in a subway station like that, but either way, at some point in our lives, we will all end up in a cramped situation, a place in which we're confined and stuck and maybe unsure if we will survive, a place where we wonder, when will I ever get out of this? Will I ever get out of this? That space for you might be financial, a cramped financial place, a place where you're in a hole, you're in debt. Maybe that stuck place for you is emotional, that in a given week, there's so much coming at us, so much stress coming at us in a given day, and you wonder, when will I ever get out of this cramped, dark, emotional space? Will I ever get out of it? Or maybe that place for you, it's, it's relational or it's spiritual. The question before all of us today is where do you go when you find yourself in a tight place? Where do you go when you're stuck? When you're in between? You're in a hard season. For some of us, when we're stuck, we revert to pathological busyness. We try to get as busy as possible, as, pos as we possibly can, thinking that I don't know what I'm going to do to get out of this, but I'm not turning to God. So instead, I'm just going to distract myself and I'm going to give myself a lot of things to do to try to will myself out of this season or distract myself from this stuck place. For others, you maybe go to substance abuse. You go to some place that numbs the pain that soothes yourself so that you don't have to remember the dark place that you find yourself stuck in. And yet, when we look at the scriptures today and when we look at our lives, here's the truth before us. The truth is God in Christ and by his spirit has promised to be there alongside us and with us in all times and in all places. And so the good news is when we find ourselves feeling stuck, in a cramped place in our lives, wondering how will I ever get out of here? The good news is we can turn to God and God will be there in those places. When we find ourselves feeling trapped, we can turn to God and God will be there. We don't need to turn to pathological busyness to try to will ourselves out of this. We don't need to turn to a substance or some other thing. We can turn to God when we are stuck and God will be there with us. And this is what we learn from the end of a guy's prayer named Jonah. This is what we learn in jo from Jonah's prayer in chapter 2 of the book uh, by his name. And today we're continuing our series on this book, the book of Jonah. And regardless of whether you're familiar with the Bible or not too familiar with it at all, most of us know a little bit about the story of Jonah, right? It's about a guy who got swallowed by a fish, <laughs> 
And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what we can learn from this remarkable story that is actually about so, so, so much more than a fish. The fish is only in a minor part of the story. And so last week, we focused on Jonah chapter 2, where we heard the beginning of Jonah's prayer. What we learned from them the weeks prior was that Jonah was called by God to go to a place called Nineveh, a place of his enemies, to a violent, brutal people. And he decided, no way, I'm not doing that. And so he fled from God's call. He got on a boat and tried to sail away from God, but you cannot flee from God's presence. So God hurls a great wind at Jonah, and he's on this boat and decides that the sailors need to throw him off the boat because he'd rather die than do what God called him to do. And so the sailors decide, okay, we'll throw you off the boat, man. You're running from God, whatever. We'll give you over to the sea. We don't want to worry about you anymore. We just want to live. So they throw Jonah over, he's trying to flee from God, and God ends up sending a great fish to swallow Jonah. And so he's been swallowed by this great fish. And in this cramped, dark place, in the stomach of a fish, he begins to pray. And we talked through the first part of that prayer last week. And now today we're going to focus on the second part. So Jonah chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, we read this. When my life was ebbing away... I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer arose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So like we said, Jonah is in this fish, and he starts to pray. And from his prayer, from the second part of his prayer, we learn four lessons. What do we learn from Jonah in his prayer about turning to God when we are stuck? This is what Jonah is doing. He's in the belly of a whale. He's in a cramped place. He's stuck wondering, how will I ever get out of here? And he turns to God. He turns to God in prayer. And from his prayer, we learn four things about how we can turn to God when we are in a stuck place. And so first of all, we learn this. When we are in a stuck place... And we feel that nobody is there to hear our cry. God hears us. When nobody is there to hear our cry, God hears us. Jonah is all alone in the belly of this fish. No one is there to hear his prayer. But God is there. God hears. God joins him in that cramped, dark place, that stuck place. And this is good news for all of us. Because God is our creator, we are not alone. Because God is our father, God will always hear our cries for help. Deuteronomy 31.8 makes it clear, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So you may find yourself stuck in a hospital by yourself, all alone, feeling that no one is there to hear your cry. The nurse is maybe ignoring the button, but God hears you and God sees you. And when no one else hears your cry, when no one else sees your prayer, God sees it. God sees you. For so many of us, we, sh we, we feel like we need to struggle and we need to suffer in silence. Many of us know what it's like to suffer in silence, wondering if anyone actually knows deep down the gravity of our pain. Some of you have been deeply afraid, but you've been anxious to tell someone about it. You felt alone, even though you're surrounded by people. You've had your doubts about God, but you've been ashamed to mention them. Maybe you received a bad report from a doctor and you're wondering what's next. Every single one of us at some point feels this, that there's no one out there who knows the level and the depth 
depth of my suffering. And here we're reminded that God does. That when no one hears our cry, God hears our cry. When nobody is there to show up, God is there to show up. God does show up. When you feel abandoned, God is there. When you've sinned and messed up your life, God is there. When no one hears your cry, God hears it. And I need you to hear this because to confess, this is not to justify not sharing what's going on in your soul because it's often the case that someone would hear this, that, okay, God hears my cry when I'm in a stuck place and then think, okay, this is a good way for me to kind of just keep everything to myself then because God hears me. And so what you have to remember, though, is the goal is not to hear this and then keep the cry to yourself, keep the struggle to yourself. We're the body of Christ and we need one another. We need to confess our struggles. But here's the good news, that even if you cannot find someone to listen, when there's no one to hear us, God still hears us. And we can call upon him in addition to calling upon others for help because God hears our cries. So that's the first thing we learn from Jonah. When we are in a stuck place, wondering how will I ever get out of this season, this season emotionally or relationally or financially or spiritually, and we feel that no one hears us in that cramped, dark place, what we learn from Jonah's story is that God hears us still. Second thing we learn from Jonah's story is that God will hear our prayers even when they are unoriginal. See, Jonah's prayer is not original in this text. Jonah's praying words that come right out of the book of Psalms, and this is good to know because your prayers don't have to be original. We often want our prayers to be original, to come from the heart. We often don't like to pray the prayers of other people, but when we're stuck, that's often the best thing we can do, the only thing we can do. Use the prayers of other people. Maybe a recommendation in particular is use the book of Psalms. If you're in a stuck, a stuck place, pull out your Bible and read through the book of Psalms. The Psalms, it's the prayer book of the Bible, and it's an indispensable resource for us when we cannot muster up the courage or creativity or passion or whatever it might be to pray an original prayer. One of the greatest gifts you can give yourselves is to pray regularly in general, but especially when you're in a trapped place, because sometimes we don't know what to say to God, and the Psalms come, and they say, hey, you might not know what to say to God, but here's this book, it knows what to say, and it will express all of the emotions that you feel. Sometimes we need some help to form our words, to form our prayers, and the book of Psalms is there to help us. Jonah, he's in this whale, and that's what, or he's in this great fish, and that's what he's doing. He's using psalms and praying psalms. It's there to help us pray. And let me tell you something. Even though we use the words of someone else, God's not offended by that. God receives that. God hears those prayers. God loves when we pray, no matter what, because God loves to hear us, no matter what, whether it's in original words or unoriginal words. God is so gracious and kind that it does not matter to him whether we pray an original prayer or an unoriginal prayer. See, sometimes I long for God's presence, but my prayers feel stale. And I need to pray, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Sometimes I'm afraid and can't think of what to say to God about all my fears. They're so overwhelming. And I just need to pray, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want and sometimes I feel that I'm climbing an impossible hill, that the task in front of me is too large, and I need to pray that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Sometimes I need 
the words of other people to help me pray. And we learn this from Jonah. When we find ourselves feeling trapped, when we're stuck in this cramped place and we aren't sure how to get out of it, we can turn to God with unoriginal prayers that can act as somewhat of a support for us. And God will be there. And he'll hear us. And he'll join us in that stuck place. So that's the second lesson we learned from Jonah. The third lesson we learned from Jonah in the belly of this fish, in this stuck place, is this, that God doesn't put a time limit on us. I love that Jonah runs away, right? Ends up in the belly of this fish, ends up in this hopeless place, and then, when he is completely out of options, decides reluctantly and finally to call upon the God that he is fleeing from. He's in this hopeless place. There's no way out of it. He's completely stuck. Thinks, I might not ever get out of here. I might die. There's, I have no other option. So I guess I will turn to God then. And so he does this using an an unoriginal prayer, a song. And God doesn't respond with saying something like, too late, Jonah. You should have called on me when you were on the ship. You waited too long. Jonah says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered God And God heard my cry. What grace and mercy. That Jonah exhausts all options. And God in his grace and mercy doesn't shame Jonah. Doesn't condemn Jonah. Doesn't think you should have called me earlier. I bet you learned your lesson now. No. God, he remembers God. And Jonah says, God heard my cry. God was waiting for my cry. What grace and mercy. And the hope is that we would not wait until the last minute to call upon God, right? (laughs) The hope is that we would call out to God when it's sunny and when it's cloudy. That we call out to God uh, on payday and when we don't know when the next paycheck is coming. That we call out to God when times are good or bad. But here is the truth. Even if you wait, even if you wait to call upon God, even if you refuse to call upon God until your lowest moment, when you're fully stuck and feel that you have no other options, God will hear you. God will see you because God's waiting for you. Because God does not ever put a time limit on us. And why? Because though we may forget God, God never forgets us. God's attention is always on us. God never turns his back on us or plugs his ears to our cries. He doesn't think, God never says you should have called on me earlier. You should learn your lesson. God does not do that. He never will turn his back on us. No, God sits almost at the edge of his seat. And God anxiously waits for us to remember him like he did for Jonah. And because God is faithful to his creation, faithful to us, God will patiently wait for that to happen, even if it takes all of our life. God puts no timeline on our repentance, no timeline on us turning to him. He's so good and he is so kind that he will wait forever. He will watch us, he will see us, and he will be there waiting for us to turn to him. And when we do, he will not, say, he will not stand there sort of cross arm being like, I should have turned to me earlier. No, he will, we will turn to him and God will receive us open-armed because he never puts a timeline on us. And lastly, what I want you to see is this. As Jonah's praying to the Lord, it seems as if the psalm that he's praying takes a bit of a turn toward the end. Up to this point, when he's prayed this, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. 
And so at first in his prayer, he's in the belly of this fish in the stuck place, and he's talking about God and remembering God. And then he makes a sudden turn and starts talking about idols. Verse 8 says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. So the prayer goes from like a cry for help to somewhat of a principle about what happens to us when we're in these cramped, stuck places. And what we learn is this, that Jonah's confinement can lead to greater clarity to identify idols. Confinement leads to greater clarity to identify idols. And in the end, this is what being in a tight place often does for us. It helps us make sense of what matters most. It helps us to get clear on what we've been clinging to. And it helps us and reminds us that the things that we cling to will not save us. The things that we cling to that are not God will not save us. Our money will not save us. Our job will not save us. A new relationship will not save us. Those things are called idols. So what's, you see, what's an idol? You might, you might say, I, that's an idol. You, I, I don't, you might be like, I, mean, I don't have any idols. Because I don't have any statues in my house. And I'm doing all right. I don't have any shrines. I don't have anything that I'm sort of bowing down before and offering sacrifices at the feet of. And that's good. But you've got to know an idol is so much more than that. Because you can have your house clear of all kinds of statues and still have lots of idols. Because what's an idol? An idol is when we take a good thing and we make it a God thing, which makes it a bad thing. We take a good thing, we make it a God thing, which turns it into a bad thing. You take a relationship that's good, and then it becomes a God thing for you, a life or death matter. You think, I have to have this relationship, and it has to be perfect for me to be satisfied, for me to be content, and then it becomes bad. Because what happens when that relationship starts to maybe falter? What happens when, the marriage, when your marriage gets dif- when you enter into a difficult season in your marriage? Or you take money. That's Money, it's a good thing. It's a neutral thing. But then it becomes a God thing when you just feel like, I have to have more and more and more and more to be satisfied and feel safe and secure. And then it becomes a bad thing because it's unsteady ground. You could lose your job or, or uh, you could end up in a recession. And here's what often happens when you're in a tight place. You start getting clear on what matters most and what you've expected would save you from that tight place. And maybe that's the most important lesson for us because maybe, just maybe, through these verses, God is trying to help us let go of idols. The things that we've believed could rescue us from the stuck places we are in. The things that we believed could save us from the pit, save us from the cramped place, save us from being stuck. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. See, on the cross, God in Christ unveiled all idols as false gods, frauds, shams, illusions of the real thing. All idols have been drained of their power. But we are often slow to realize this. And so like Jonah, it takes a cramped, stuck place for us to see clearly. To see that those idols that we've been clinging onto will not rescue us. When we are in a cramped place, we begin to see that idols make promises that they can never deliver on. Because they are false gods. In a cramped place, we realize the job, the relationship, the substance, the entertainment cannot save us like we thought it would. It's actually only keeping us stuck. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Notice, not God turns his love away from them. No, we cling to worthless idols and we then turn away from God's love. But God's love never turns away from us. 
And so the invitation for us is to turn away. Turn away from the powerless idol, the idol that Christ has drained, and turn back to God. For God in Christ has freed you by his spirit from the grip of every idol. So live freely, live freely. Turn back to God's love. And so that's the fourth lesson. And now I'll close with this. When we look at the book of Jonah, remember, we're also seeing in some way the life of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, in Matthew 12, verse 40, Jesus identifies his story with Jonah's story. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah was in the belly of a fish, so Jesus says he will die and will be buried in the belly of the earth. And what we see in Jesus, in the same way we see in Jonah, is the truth that God alone saves us. That's what Jonah says in his prayer, salvation comes from you. God alone saves us. And what we learn from Jonah's story and from Jesus' story is that God often saves us in some strange ways, in some foolish ways, like a fish or a cross. See, when Jesus was crucified, it looked like the end. When Jesus was put in a tomb, it looked like the end. When the stone was rolled over, it looked like the end. But three days later, Jesus emerges from the belly of the earth and comes back to life. And see, just like the whale couldn't digest the prophet Jonah, death could not digest the Lord Jesus. Death has a hard time digesting divinity. And here's the good news for all of us. Jonah is swallowed by a fish, but Jesus swallows death. Christ swallowed death on the cross so that it might never swallow us. And because of this, just like the fish spits Jonah out onto dry land, one day when we die, we will not be stuck there. No, because of Christ's spirit giving you eternal life right now, death won't be able to digest you either. Instead, death will spit you out of its belly onto the dry land of resurrection life in the kingdom of God. And the good news is you can receive that gift of eternal life, of life in the kingdom of God, of resurrection life and grace today. You can live resurrection life in the kingdom of God today. You can live with death and the fear of death behind you. And all you have to do is trust in Christ and allow His Holy Spirit to be poured out over you in baptism. And so today we join Jonah in prayer and song and say thanks be to God that salvation alone comes from God through Christ and by His Holy Spirit to us all today. Because of Christ, we have been spit out of the belly of the earth, been spit out of death into resurrection life. So thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and rescuing us and saving us from our greatest fears. Our greatest fear behind all of the fears is the fear of, of death. In Christ, you've come to rescue us from that fear, come to rescue us from death. So thank you. Thank you that when, that we will be raised to life with you. Thank you that you raise us to life right now. Help us to participate more, to join more 
into your kingdom, to live more fully into your kingdom, that we might taste resurrection life, life on the other side of death, life with death behind us today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.